0: Hi, I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. Uh, We are so happy that you are here, and we have an amazing show for you tonight. So we're going to talk about energy, um, a powerful conversation around energy. So where are we going to start? Well, I thought we'd start in a dam. (laughs) Makes sense to me. Um, I met a guy at our gym here in uh, Montana, up in Helena, and uh, he is the supervisor out at the Canyon Ferry Dam near Helena on Canyon Ferry Reservoir. So Kathy and I went out there, took the camera, uh, interviewed him, took a tour, and we're going to show you three different parts of that tonight. And then we have an interesting conversation out of Eugene, Oregon, where I came from. And uh, the city council there has voted to ban uh, the use of natural gas in new construction. Um, And they've done more than that. So we have a city councilor, Uh, coming on to talk with us tonight about that and much more. But so this is kind of a story about a show about power, but not just about power and electricity, but it's also about the power of standing up and the power of getting involved and the power of using your voice to tell people what you think. So our sponsors tonight are Fairway Independent Mortgage Company, Greg Hinkle, where they're always trying to help you create generational wealth through the purchase of real estate. And he works out of Oregon, Washington, and here in Montana. His office is out of Helena, Montana. Greg is an amazing guy, likes what we're doing, and really wants to support uh, the idea of free speech. As do most of our clients. Um, Our other sponsor, which we'll hear more from in a little bit more, a little bit a while from now, is the Montana Oral Surgery and Dental Implant Center. Um, If you're looking for some some, uh, you need you you hope you don't ever need an oral surgeon, but you know what, a lot of us do at some point in our lives. And uh, sometimes you need a partial denture. Sometimes you need a full implant done. uh, They can help you with that. And we'll hear from Sarah in just a little bit on the show. And then our, our other sponsor is Chris Dental Family Dentistry and Denture Center out of Eugene, Oregon. Dr. Bratlin is one of our longest uh, supporters, sponsors. He believes in free speech. He believes in people doing, getting their medical care no matter what. And if you're looking for a dentist who cares about those things and also is really good, we're going to hear a little bit from him a little bit later in the show as well. So we're going to start... Um, And if you guys have any questions, write them in the comment section, uh, because we'd love, I always go back and look at them and I will answer as many as I can. Uh, So we're going to start our little journey, um, kind of explaining to you what the Canyon Ferry Dam actually does.
1: So we'll be able to look at all these parts and pieces upstairs, when, since we have that unit one all taken apart. But down here you'll have, it's called the turbine, or sometimes they call it the runner, and then you have wicked gates here. When the water flows down through the penstock, it'll get to these wicked gates. So when you open up those wicked gates, it'll come in here, scroll case, and it'll turn that runner, which in turn, turn this shaft which will turn our rotor up here. And that's that's basically, that's what generates the power. That generates the power. Then you have the stator around that. This rotor will induce a, that voltage onto the stator. And then you'll have your AC voltage going out of here. So how many
0: of those, that's a rotor? That's what it's, that's what it's, called, a it's called a rotor? It's called a rotor, So how many of those do you
1: have in this dam? We have one per unit. And you have three units then? Three units, yep. And they all put out like 18 and a half megawatts. And then you'll have like down here, there's pictures of, uh, you can see the wicked gates down here. And then you'll have the head cover. And this will be like the upper bridge. And um, uh, there's a lot of protection devices in here because you got a lot of bearings. you got uh, different bearings. You'll have your upper upper bearing, your thrust bearing, your lower bearing, your turbine bearing down here. So you have protective devices on all of that stuff also. And you have vibration monitoring systems throughout this thing. Um, there's stuff up here for uh, speed sensing so we'll know the speed of our, our, our unit when it's running. Fixed wheel gate out in the dam, water will come down through the penstock, it'll start turning the turbine, we'll get up to 150 RPM.
0: So how did you get into being a supervisor at a dam?
1: <laughs> well, I, I, first my uh, supervisor experience, I guess would be at the railroad. I was a supervisor at uh, all the trains coming in and out of, out of town. You had pipe fitters, you had uh, guys that drove the locomotives around, electricians, mechanics. So I ended up getting a couple of years, years of supervisor experience there and kind of helped out here.
0: But you started as an electrician.
1: I started as an electrician, yeah, and then I moved into uh, being a relay tech when I got to a coal-fired power plant. Went through a little assistantship there, and then uh, left the coal-fired power plant because I didn't necessarily like the, where the coal industry was headed uh, these days. So I took off and went to Hoover Dam and got into got into hydro there. And from there, I ended up out at uh, Shasta Dam, Northern California, for five years as Still a Communication Instrumentation Technician and uh, came here in uh, 2019 in February and uh, Communication Instrumentation Technician and uh, it was a year and a half later got the uh, Foreman job
0: here. What do you think people don't understand especially right now with power and generation and, and why this is so important? You know, a big part of it, I think, they don't
1: understand is how the grid works in general, how the power grid works, and why you need these big rotating masses like we have here, uh, like in steam units. It helps for power you through uh, events that you have, um, something that uh, you know, uh, solar and uh, and wind can cannot do for you.
0: Because you need a, a stable force, and with these, you can get stability.
1: Yeah, you have, uh, you have hundreds of tons of rotating mass inside there. Like I said, it, it'll help you power through. We can hear, we can hear faults. It'll, it'll bang our units a little bit. We might get some alarms, but most of the time we'll power, power through them faults where, uh, you know, uh, uh, solar cannot
0: do that. Does it concern you where the direction we're going right now?
1: It does. You know, I've been through a few classes lately where, you know, they talk a lot about our power grid. And um, from my understanding, what they're telling me is uh, our power grid now is the least reliable it has ever been. So, yeah, it is a little concerning.
0: So, a dam like this where people probably don't take it that seriously because it is small, that amount of electricity, that's a big deal. That is a big deal, yeah. It powers a lot of homes. So tell me what you guys are doing right now in terms of re- restoration. So you, you're, this place was built when, blah, blah, blah.
1: Yep. Yeah, this, uh, the units were built in the early 50s. So they've been running a long time without being refurbished. So right now we are rewinding uh, all three of our units. We're starting in on unit one right now and it'll get a new turbine put in it also. But uh, the rewind is a big project going on right now. And we will continue for the next couple of years on the next two units. So we're, maybe halfway through this one. First time they've been redone since early 1950. So they ran a long time, but uh, you know that insulation starts to break down after a while and we uh, a few years back had a fault, uh, internal fault on the stator on unit one and that got repaired. And as soon as we took unit one down to start the rehab on that, we had the same fault on unit three. So they're their end of their life, they had a good run. Well,
0: that is stable. I mean, if you're talking, that's a lot of years. That's like, there's old, that's a little bit older than me.
1: That's so that's a long time. I mean, how many years are we talking 70, you know, 70 years they've been running. And uh, that's, that's a lot longer. I think you get out of a solar panel.
0: So what do you like about your industry? Just what you do? And when we come back, we'll find out more about what he likes, about what we do. And he's going to take us on a tour down underneath more. Did you see those tunnels? It kind of reminds you of a James Bond movie. It was super fun. Um, And the other thing I wanted to tell you, um, that dam at Canyon Ferry creates enough power to light up all the homes in the city of Helena and the area. That's a lot of power.
2: (laughs) been in dentistry for 17 years, and I've been with our practice for about two. And I have found that um, surgeons and doctors, they just really love what they're doing. This has a pretty significant need here in Montana. So the thing is that they've really focused on um, a lot of tooth extractions, like I said, uh, dental implants is really their specialty. One of the things that's distinctly different about an oral surgeon versus most general dentists or other specialists is that sedation component. Um, That the training to be able to safely administer sedation medications uh, is is really advanced. And so our doctors uh, went through a lot of additional training in order to be able to do that safely. We have four locations, actually. Wow. Yeah. So we have a location here in Helena, and then we will have one in Bozeman, one in Butte, and one in Great Falls.
1: Hey, I work here at Canyon Ferry Dam. I've been out here for four years. I am the power plant supervisor and prior to that I was a communication instrumentation technician here.
0: you think most people don't understand how powerful water is?
1: I, I really do think so, yeah. The amount of power, like I was explaining earlier, like Grand Coulee has some units that they can get 800 million watts out of one unit, so. If you calculate that out into horsepower, that's that's a lot of horsepower right there. There, yeah. So that's the penstock. So where the water comes out of that fixed wheel gate up in the dam, then that water will be able to flow through this penstock. And then where does it go from there? From there, it'll go to the wicket gates, and then like I said, once we open up the wicket gates, it'll be able to flow into scroll case, and that's where the runner is to be able to turn the runner or the unit. So, so what
0: goes inside there?
1: The runner goes inside there. Yeah, and that's what will spin the shaft that will run up and spin the rotor.
0: So that bottom piece we saw in the drawing?
1: Yep, that very bottom piece in that drawing. And we can actually go up above and look at the old one that we have out right now. So that goes in.
0: That goes in there.
1: That's going to go in the hole, yep. <laughs> So where you were looking earlier down in the scroll case would be down underneath that platform we got in there and then the head cover will sit down in here and then the wicket gates we're going to look at them later but we'll open up to allow the water to run in the scroll case they reside down in here too we could see them over here and then your sh- shaft will run up here and this is where the rotor sits right here where they got it all plastic off, that's where the stator sets. That's so where it, the smart comes from. Yeah.
0: So how much do you get out of here usually?
1: As far as megawatts, so each unit can produce up to 18 and a half megawatts. So that'd be 18 and a half million watts per unit per hour. For the novices, is, is that a lot? <laughs> that is a lot. For me, working, at, I worked at some bigger dams, you know, coal-fired power plants, uh, Shasta Dam, uh, Hoover Dam, their units are quite, quite a bit bigger. So as far as hydro, these are pretty small units.
0: But you're 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 providing electricity for
1: a lot of people, a lot of homes. Yeah, out of these three little units, you get a lot of electricity for quite a few homes.
0: So when was this built, and what was the? You said the three structures, the three reasons.
1: Yes. So the biggest reason these were built is for water flow. And then they added generators for you know get a little revenue for the uh, generation while they had the dams here, and then. Not a lot here, but at uh, some of the other dams, they will be able to, they have something on the back of the dam where you can actually control where you get the water from. So you'll want the water to the correct temperature for the fish.
0: So that's the order of importance is it was really for water control, flood control, and then they found a way to make money and by creating hydropower. And then over the years, we've seen what needs to be done for fish. So there's the fish aspect of it. So one of the cool things while we were there, we asked Wade you know, why he does what he does, because you know, I always ask that question. And then we found a really good uh, workout program there in the dam that some of the guys who work there um, actually use this to get ready for hunting. So they do their dam workout inside the dam.
1: You know, I guess it's interesting to me as far as working on it, because most things you work on, you can see what you're working on. As far as electricity, you can't see what you're working on, you know, so that's that's always been a little interesting to me. Right. Well, the only bad part about being in the dam all day, you don't see any sunlight either, so there is that. It's nice to get out and stroll around every now and then. So, so is it true that you have a damn job? I have a damn job, dam worker, yep. <laughs> Your mom can't tell you. <laughs> It's like, wait, job. go, go get a damn job. I did exactly what she told me to do. Or, uh, I don't know if I should be. <laughs>
0: wait, is this the trap? This is where you take guests to get rid of them?
1: So, no, this is where during break time, me and that other guy who are avid elk hunters, this is where we get warmed up for elk season. All the stairs all the way up. Oh there. my God. And I don't know the top of it. So if you start here and you do 13 push-ups, and you do 13 push-ups on every landing, you get 100 push-ups, and you get numerous flights of stairs. And How many moves. steps are
0: up there? Do you know? You have, I have count. it written
1: on the wall up there. I don't remember right now. So if I wanted to know, I'd
0: have to go all the way up there and yeah. find out. out there, yeah. So since I only see you at the gym on Fridays, this is what you're doing, the rest of the work.
1: I usually don't do it until about a month before elk hunting season. So in August. I get started in August on one of my breaks. There's three of us that will, uh, will climb these stairs. There's a backpack here full of rocks that weighs about 40 pounds if you need to use that. so Yeah.
0: <laughs> or you're making that up just so you sound better. Well, I'm not
1: saying I use it. I'm
0: just saying it's around. <laughs> it's available. It's
1: available. Yeah.
2: Not for me.
0: So you guys, you know, to pay your bills for the federal government or, you know, the Bureau of Reclamation, you guys should hire this out to elk hunters in the, in the <laughs> yeah, Broadwater yeah. and Lewis and Clark counties and just let them come in here and do a workout.
1: It'll <laughs> probably work. They, they, we'll probably get them each a backpack and send them up these stairs. They'll be in great shape for elk hunting.
0: All right. And we want to thank Wade and all the crew out there for taking Kathy and me through there and letting you go through as well. Um, I would like to try the stair thing, but coming down is a little sketchy, um, I'll tell you. So, our next story is uh, we're going to talk about natural gas. city of Eugene, the city council, in a five to three vote, voted to ban natural gas and new construction. Um, it, uh, it, 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 and it's not going over well. Um, the, the community is kind of waking up and uh, they're in an uproar over it. And uh, we talked with uh, Randy Groves, who is the council president. Um, about that and a bunch of other stuff came up in the conversation. So this segment of our show is sponsored by Chris Dental Family Dentistry. What is it about dentistry that just connected for you? Cause I mean, it's, it's quite a jump from journalism <laughs> to, de- to to being a doctor.
2: I'm not the most social person in the world. Like, Like, not like you. Um, but I do like interaction with people uh, and it's fun people being people's doctors. And I feel like I am a caring person. So I like
0: figuring stuff out. I can figure it out. I can diagnose a tooth almost better than anybody. I've had people come
2: in they've been to three other dentists. They can't figure out what's going on. And I can, I I like that. It's like a, like being a uh, detective.
0: And you've also really centered your practice on buying American with your crowns and that kind of, I mean, that's, that's really important to you.
2: Yeah, if I could buy if I could buy everything 100 percent American, I would. It's hard. Like I even told my reps, I've, I've repeated my reps several times. Like I don't want to buy stuff from China. I, I want to try to buy stuff in the United States. So my, my crowns are American. Uh, I even talked to the, the lab into making sure they buy all the products from America. Like we need. Hi,
0: I'm Rick Janser, and uh, today on this segment of Get Real with Rick Dancer. This whole show is focusing on energy, so now we're gonna go to natural gas. And um, a lot of folks in Montana have been asking me the question, and all my friends in Oregon always ask the question, um, is it true that the city of Eugene is banning uh, natural gas use in some new commercial construction? And yes, that is true, that's what's on the docket. And to, to help us better understand what's going on and talk about this whole topic, uh, bring on Randy Groves, a Eugene city Councilor, mm-hmm. And also, we could, we could go back to your past, because that's where our past really match, where he was also uh, a chief of the fire department. And uh, you've been involved in civics for a long time.
2: Many, many years, over 40 years. Wow.
0: So, Randy, tell me, what exactly does this move do so that my my viewers and stuff kind of understand where we're starting from?
2: Certainly, Rick. Uh, the, the vote that passed uh, to, in a 5-3 vote of city council on February 6th was to ban uh, natural gas hookups and infrastructure in new low-rise residential buildings. But what's important to understand about this, this is one of three um, elements being considered. Phase one was low-rise uh, residential construction. Phase two uh, we'll be talking about um, banning hookups in new commercial and industrial applications. In phase 3 we'll be a discussion about decarbonization of existing buildings.
0: So and why here and maybe I don't know if you can explain this or not, but what is their fear over natural gas?
2: The concern is uh, the perspective is it's it's creating uh, greenhouse gas emissions and part of our carbon footprint that um, the people that are pushing this want to see eliminated. And I think we all care about our environment. We all care about our climate. Um, There's a number of things we can be doing, in my opinion, that would make a bigger impact and uh, create less of a divisive posture between our, our members of our community.
0: So what are some other things you think we should be looking at, Randy, or that you can
2: Sure. I think we should be looking at uh, weatherization programs in pre-1995 buildings because the building standards changed significantly in 1995. That's when we went to the six-inch uh, st- exterior stead walls, uh, increased insulation, both above and below a structure. And I think we should be doing that for uh, regardless of energy type, uh, but targeting those pre-1995 buildings, which would also uh, give some incentives to landlords and property owners that are, that are renting their, their, their property, which would also have the effect of helping some of our, our lowest wage earners in our community.
0: Right, That's, that would help low income people. How is banning natural gas In new construction, because right now you guys are so far behind on construction housing for decades behind on providing, you know, any kind of housing, let alone affordable housing. And how does this, if the the council's goal is one of their goals has always been to to deal with the, the biggest problem in Oregon, I think, is affordable housing, one of them. And how is how is banning an energy source going to improve that?
2: I don't think it is going to improve it. The argument I hear is uh, renters have no choice of their energy type. They they basically end up with whatever uh, the landlord is using to energize the, uh, or heat, uh, the uh, um, rental that they, they reside in. And so the, the concern from the advocates that I've heard is people don't have a, a choice on what they consider a health hazard.
0: So is there, That you've looked into, is there any legitimacy to their concerns?
2: I've read studies, quite frankly, that shake out on both sides of the issue. But, uh, you know, any cooking, for example, a a lot of it ends up around um, indoor cooking. Right. And Any cooking regardless of the energy type should be properly ventilated because you know there's off-gassing uh, from the cooking process that emits particulate matter and, and other contaminants that really aren't good for us to breathe. But that applies regardless of the energy type.
0: Well, but what I find interesting about this whole movement to ban energy sources is you know talk to people over in third world countries where they're cooking in, a, in their houses uh, dying of lung cancer because they don't have y- y- any kind of, they, they can't worry about the environment. They're too busy trying to stay warm with fire and you know c- cooking their soaps and, and, and then we come up here and we start doing stuff like this. It, it, it's also interesting to me that, that we, you, you guys also are in a nuclear-free zone in your county, which nuclear energy is the cleanest. And according to research that I've seen, um, one of the safest things that you can do if you look at everything that's been done, the accidents and electrical plants and all that kind of stuff, it's really fairly safe. And it is the very cleanest form of energy you can get. And yet you live in a county that that bans it and and also now doesn't want to have natural gas. What happens when you rip out the dams? They don't like hydroelectric either because the dams are plugging the rivers. It's like, what do you do? You can't you, you need energy.
2: Well, and that, that is a real concern with the loss of hydroelectric generation. We are looking right now, um, the federal government, at uh, eliminating the four dams in the lower Snake River Canyon. All of them are hydro projects. In addition, there are four projects under consideration for elimination, dam removal, in the uh, Klamath River Basin. So you're, you're correct. Every time we lose one of these projects in I want to protect the fish as well, but you know, every time we lose one of these, there's an effect on uh, supply. And if we don't have enough supply, all of a sudden, just take a look at California, what's going yeah. on down there. And they're having mm-hmm. routine brownouts and blackouts, and that's not good for um, survivability either. So, and,
0: and I heard that's predicted for Oregon with within the next year and a half or so, that they're, they're, they're thinking there could be brownouts there as well because of hydropower and the amount. And if you keep limiting other types of power, my house is heated on propane um, where we are. And, you know, you start limiting this. And, and much of the country, coal-fired power plants is what fires up the energy. You, you know, I, I understand all of this is not the super clean, but then it seems what, what I find hypocritical about it is we don't want coal, we don't want natural gas, we don't want propane, we don't want electricity or hydro dams, but we want the power. And we we also will not allow you to have the cleaner source, which is nuclear power. Correct. So what? where is this with the council? Here's the part that kind of, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I understand is you made a motion, I, I think it was you, and this was to take this to a vote of the people and the council said no.
2: That's correct. Uh, I made a motion on, I believe it was February 6th uh, to, I'm currently council president, which is a rotating position among councilors, seated councilors. And I made a motion to refer this to a public vote. And uh, that failed in a three, five vote, meaning three councilors voted in favor of it, five voted against. And then uh, a councilor made a surprise motion to go ahead and uh, put forth to a vote uh, the, the the full ban, which wasn't even to be discovered until later this month. And that passed 5-3. So, so what's we are. What's
0: that? So what's that? Explain that, that one more time. I, I didn't quite. Okay, understand.
2: I'm sorry. Uh, basically, another counselor, we were there to discuss referring this to the public. And that uh, was was This little forward. ban, the ban
0: just on new... What single level written.
2: new low level low rise construction, single uh, residential construction. And that motion Thanks. I made to refer it to the public for a vote because it's it's I think it's a big enough issue. It should go to the public. And that vote it was voted down. After that, a second motion that nobody was expecting was made um by one of the one of
0: the counselors who supports the ban
2: yes to go ahead and just pass the ban which wasn't to be discussed what what ban the
0: entire like every
2: no the low-rise residential just went ahead to and propose that and that passed five three so a second motion was made that wasn't expected to go ahead and just put the ban to a vote and it passed
0: So now you guys have this, uh, they have to gather enough signatures or the council's doing this on its own?
2: Well, the council did that on its own, but there is a group of um, community members that's called, I believe it's uh, Concerned Citizens for Energy Choice. And I'm not directly connected to that group, but they are out collecting signatures. Um, The proponents of the ban are, are claiming that Northwest Natural, has, uh, uh, which is the gas company, has contributed right. you know, thousands of dollars to the effort. Uh, I have, I don't know. I haven't looked at the, the filings or any of that. But anyway, I understand. And again, I don't have direct knowledge, but I understand that they've already kept, collected more than double the signatures they need to get it on a ballot.
0: Now, explain to my viewer why. So there, it's already the council already wants to put the issue on the ballot
2: no the council does not want to put the issue on the ballot the council voted against the motion to put it on the ballot and then went ahead and passed the ban
0: oh okay on that now i'm catching up with you okay i I apologize
2: i don't know how to say it you
0: probably said it fine I said but that's what this is about it's about discussing this stuff so we get it so what what concerns me in all of this one of the things that concerns me is the the council works for the people of eugene What are they afraid of of this going to a vote, if um, which also I understand? Well, well, talk to me about that. Why wouldn't you, as a representative of the people, want to go ahead and say, "Okay, fine, let's let the people of Eugene decide"?
2: Rick, that's a very good question, and I think it's one for my colleagues that voted against referring this to a vote. I To me, it makes sense. I think uh, we are a representative form of government. We're a democratic republic. And I think council needs to be the ones that make the decisions on the, the business of running the city. But when it gets into money measures, uh, when it gets into decisions that remove uh, choice and severely limit one's ability to function or operate, I think that belongs in the hands of the public, and we are here to serve, we the people. And as far as democracy and taking a critical issue like this to a public vote, that's why I made the motion, and that's why I supported taking it to a vote.
0: Yeah, because what that says to me is you're afraid that, I mean, you're... It's kind of, in my opinion, and I'm not asking you to comment, but in my opinion, it's arrogant because you're, you're assuming we know better than you. We're not, you know, I, we don't think this is going to pass. So we're going to just push it through because this is really what's best for everybody. When that's not how the government works. It's not how it's supposed to work. It should be. and, And obviously they hit a nerve with people because, you know, to get double the number, I remember the first week. They needed like 6,500, let's just say close to that, something around 6,000, some, some.
2: 6,460 uh, to be exact. And they
0: got 7,400 in a week. That was one week. So obviously this hit a nerve in the business community and they can blame it on Northwest Natural Gas. I'm sure if I was Northwest Natural Gas, I would be putting some money in this to try to to save my business. Um, But obviously there's a nerve there with people saying, you you know, one, we need energy sources and two, you don't get to tell us what to do. I mean, you have a housing shortage. Any how how does this help the affordable housing situation in Eugene, Oregon?
2: My fear, and I'll, I'll couch it in these terms, my fear is it's just gonna drive more construction outside the Eugene city limits, Our 43 square miles that are Eugene.
0: And and isn't I understand the chambers come out against this, and but I also understand, which I think is well, I know Vonnie and the Chamber in Springfield. The Springfield Chamber, I think, has also come out against us. So what did what some people might think, well, hey, you know, all that business is going to just going to go over to Springfield if they don't have the event. What, What is Springfield afraid of? Do you think?
2: Well, I think we're there's some of us that are seeing our area as a region. And that's what I think, that's how I think we should be looking at it. The economy does not stop at I-5, which is the dividing line between the two cities. The economy moves back and forth. And quite frankly, what is good for Springfield, I believe is good for Eugene. Mm -hmm. And what is good for Eugene is good for Springfield. That was behind our merger effort when we merged the two fire departments. We wanted to get politics out of it. And let's just look at response capability, response times, and providing the most cost-effective service we could for the community. And I think that's how we should be looking at everything we do. We can still be individual communities, but we should be able to join hands when we can, especially on economic development.
0: Randy, when you when you hear something like this too, does it, you know, I mean, it, Oregon already kind of outside of the borders of the state, at least the Willamette Valley, has this reputation of, of um, you know, a, what i hear is you know people here say they they pull you aside and say did you guys really pass a bill that allows for hard drugs and i said yeah <laughs> and oh, then Mr. they 110 110 and then they they want to know well no wonder you guys have such a big problem with homelessness because that's pretty attractive to transient not not regular homeless homeless people i'm talking about people that are coming into the state because they can get anything they need um free medical, free healthcare, you know, drugs, they'll pay a $100 fine and you're, you're, you're out of jail. Um, you're, are you afraid that you're becoming a mecca for um, a, a kind of economic development that may not be the most productive in your community?
2: I'm afraid we've become that. And what I think we need to work on is reversing that trend. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I ran for office. I, I was concerned with some of the directions we were headed. I took great pride in serving my community for um, almost thirty seven years as a firefighter and ultimately fire chief and I took my responsibility to serve and protect the community very seriously and I started after retirement i was was actually enjoying retirement I started watching um, the trends how things were going and um, when my counselor, who is a friend of, personal friend of mine and backed me in running for uh, the position, I've been in the, the seat for just over two years, I did that because I wanted to try and help make a difference. I felt like I had a lot of civic experience. Um, of course, I make sense to myself, but uh, you know, we all do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but you know, one of the things I want to add this, one of the things I've noticed since I took office is we spend a lot of time talking at each other and not talking with each other. And I tell tell
0: it, explain to people the difference as you see well, it.
2: Well, Talking at we're just, is just a matter of throwing your perspective and your opinion in somebody else's face without really listening to how they think about an issue. And I believe our best work is done when we can find ways to come together as a community. And let's start with what we can agree on and start working with that as we work our way out. Take, take the energy piece, take climate protection. You know What are the points we can agree on? That's why I brought up weatherization because I right. think everybody wants to use less energy. And quite frankly, that's one of our ways out of, whether you believe in it or not, our current situation is to reduce our energy dependence regardless of energy type.
0: Right, that's smart. And it, I, I think sometimes too, like what, what I noticed, is one of the things that, that happens in, in a place like Eugene and Springfield both is that we get, um, that it becomes, I think for so many years, people throw up their hands, just go, oh, whatever, you know, and you just can't do that. You have to, I know four people who are running on the Eugene school board, because what people don't understand is school boards, city counselors, planning commissions, all those kind of things. That's where you have the real power where you go in and you say, you don't know, no, you don't have to do things my way, but I want my voice included in this conversation. And to me, I can say this: it's so obvious that you have five members on your council who really don't aren't, aren't open to listening to a bunch of people. You do not have to quote on that, but or say anything on that. But if you're not going to let the people decide on something, you, you may want to get a different career, and you may need to get people in there who are saying, you know what? I'm a progressive, but I think everybody should have a voice and everybody should be listened to. And I don't think I'm right all the time and that we need to come up with a solution that maybe it's energy efficiency and then something else that comes up, you know, that you can work on too. But, but, but to put things on the table that the community obviously is, sounds like they don't want, I guess you'll find out when you have a vote. Um, But then you got to get people out to vote too.
2: That's, the other piece of it people need to care enough to vote people need to care enough to stand up and be heard and you know i've I've always had the opinion rick that everyone's voice matters or nobody's voice matters and that's that's how we need to go forward we need to find the things that pull us together and not divide us and when we take actions that are divisive in this community it works counter to what we should be doing as leaders in the community
0: so to, to end this thing on a really positive note, tell me, <laughs> tell me what, um, what do you love about Eugene? What, I mean, you've, you've committed to doing this. You've retired there. Um, now you're serving the community. And um, what do you love about that town?
2: I've always liked Eugene's unique favor or flavor. And we've, we've always been a little bit weird. I mean, that's just the way, that's the way it is, but it, to me, it's, it's enchanting. And it's, it's part of, of, of who we are. But you know, beyond that, I, I love being in a university city, town. I love the natural elements in our community with the Willamette River and the McKinsey close by. Um, I, I, I love the mountains being an hour away. I like the coast being right at an hour the other direction. I mean, there's just so much to enjoy about the community we have. And I think we have very caring people it's, it's just a matter, and the pandemic was no friend no. Uh, to any of our communities. It, it, it Things have just kind of shifted and changed. And my hope, my prayers are to bring us back together. I mean, not me, that we find our path back together. And again, work towards... What do we have in common, rather than what is dissimilar?
0: Right, as as communities, you know, I think that's what I've noticed here. That's so interesting in you know town of seventeen hundred where I live, Townsend. Um, everybody needs each other. So yeah, sure, people disagree, but when it comes down to it, and Bill has cancer and he's not doing well, everybody's out raising money, having a fundraiser, doing something to make sure that his family's taken care of. And and Eugene is like that in pockets. And I, I go back when I first moved there like 30-some years ago and had the Eugene celebration down there. And there was hippies and, and conservatives and liberals and progressives and everybody you know, Everybody kind of got along in their own way. And, and I think um, we need to get back to those times where, you know, you really are listening to one another. And, it, and, and it's going to be hard, I think, because I think the pandemic really, you know, for me, it really exposed some, some hard truths, about the world we live in and and i but i i i, I don't know do you see i kind of see this all of a sudden this resurgence of people going huh um I'm, I'm gonna i'll talk to you and i'll listen to you but i'm gonna i'm gonna offer my opinion and you can't shut me down anymore and i think that's healthy for everybody
2: i am starting to see some of that but we, we need we need more of that we need people telling us what they expect we are here to serve our communities I'll say that again, as elected officials, we are here to serve our communities. And when we stop listening or listen to only a small swath or even half, I think we, we stop being effective. I mean, we need to listen, like I said, everybody's voice counts or nobody's voice counts. Now, at the end of the day, you still have to make decisions, but it shouldn't be without truly listening and understanding the different perspectives.
0: Right, and, and not villainizing people who think differently than you, right. um, you know? And I, I think that is an interesting twist is it's almost like the public servants have somehow, um, and I think the public has given up its responsibility to be the boss. I mean, the people of Eugene actually are Randy Grove's bosses. And yeah. you do what they tell you to do. That's how it's supposed to work. Um, yes. And I think somehow over the last 20, 30, 40 years, it's it's changed even, you know, the legislature, the national scene as well, as all of a sudden it's become they're the people in charge. And it's like, no, nah, I always try to impress on people. You, they work for you. And the sooner we learn that. And that's why I'm excited to see that many people putting out a petition in Eugene, Oregon, to say at least I want my voice heard. That's what I hear them saying is I, I and maybe when you push too hard, this is what you get.
2: Well, I I think this is going to be a good study in uh, our community and what really matters. And I I hope that all of my colleagues are watching this process like I am. You know, the the reality is we are from the community as city councilors. I mean, we're the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. I mean, that is the reality of things. It doesn't mean uh, I know any more about energy than the next person. You know, we all bring certain... uh, amount of expertise. I mean, I understand emergency response, the fire service uh, resiliency and mitigation, but I'm certainly not an expert on some of the other areas where we need to make informed decisions. And that's incumbent upon us to work extra hard to make sure we have the right and relevant facts.
0: When you look at the country as a whole, um, where do you think we're headed?
2: Well, I think there's going to be a point of reckoning, and maybe we've already reached it, maybe not but i think we need to get back i think government needs to get back to again focused focusing on we the people i mean it is exactly what you were saying we we need to be we need to be taking that seriously and so, if we're not then you know put somebody else in office
0: don't you think it's kind of um, in a way it's kind of exciting to see
2: well, it it is but it's what the part i don't like about it there's people out there being hurt. There's yeah. people out there who are scared and terrified. I've listened to—I don't know how many young people—that are afraid our planet is dying. Yeah. And I mean, it's real fear. This is this is not a stage show, and that always concerns me. You know, I have having worked my whole adult life in emergency services. You know, part of what we do is provide a level of confidence. And a sense of security and safety to the public. It goes back to Maslow's hierarchy of social need. And you were talking about, you know, poor people in other countries that are just trying to survive every day. They're on those lowest, most yeah. basic rungs of that pyramid, that hierarchy. You know, we're worried about things that are much higher, higher up. And yet, it's um, we have these these very strenuous debates that really. Turn into people again, talking to at each other and not with each other.
0: Since you come from you know fire background, medical services, emergency response, how how um, how dangerous is fear?
2: Oh, fear can make you do unbelievably um, stupid things. Sometimes, I mean that you know a person that wasn't in that state wouldn't react the way they did. In fact, during um, during my time in in the department, we even transitioned the way emergency services people operate. We switched from more of a reactive mode, which is using, you know, basically the, the lizard part of your brain to a response mode for when emergencies happen within the emergency. You know, things always change in emergency operations. There's always the unforeseen. You'll have a partial collapse, you'll have just things happen. <clears throat> and this adaptive thinking model that we moved to Trained our incident commanders, and they don't even use that terminology in fire anymore because it's just ingrained. But it it teaches you to respond in a thinking, responsive mode, which is the frontal lobes, rather than a reactive mode, which is the brainstem, and it produces better products. And so, when we are, when people are scared they are they're doing things they normally wouldn't do it it causes people to react in ways they wouldn't react and i think that's some of what we're seeing right now in society I yeah. think people are scared on a lot of fronts
0: that is yeah because i mean with the economy inflation yeah. people's retirements i mean there's a lot to be afraid of but i love what you're saying because if we go with just the that back part of our brain and just react it's it's never going to be real good if we no. sit and think through it and go, okay, let's look at the reality here. And then if we are thinking from here, aren't we more apt to have a better, con- be more apt to do what you're saying is start listening to people. Cause if I'm back here, I ain't hear nothing except right. for what my brain's telling me and I'm right. And the world is going to fall apart. And everybody my, my 401k is going to go away up here. It says, look at history. Um, how, how much has the climate changed over history? How much has inflation changed over history? How much my, has the stock market gone up and down and up and down? These are cyclical things that happen. So I need to calm myself and say, does that mean there's still a problem? Yes. Does that mean I still need to do something about the environment to protect it? Yes, I should. But I don't need to react from back here because despite what you know, our vice president says, and I'm not getting you into this, I'm just saying this. <laughs> Um, you know, it's we're we're not going to we're still here. And as I saw the predictions, we were going to be gone by now. So it doesn't mean it's not real. And that's the other thing we need to stop doing is when someone brings up something that's counter to my way of thinking, stop belittling it, stop censoring it, because what we can already see coming out after the the, the pandemic is by censoring information, we could have caused more problems than we would have if we would have let all this alternative information come out and let people digest it and come up with their own answers. And now we're starting to see the day of reckoning and it doesn't look pretty.
2: Yeah, I, 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 think, I think you're right on a number, of, a number of fronts and it applies to a lot of the things we're looking at. And you're absolutely right about timelines. Timelines, we, we are compressing them I think more than they need to be compressed right you know this this is this this where we are right now as a society in our point in history necessitates it requires a thoughtful planned response not a reaction
0: yeah i randy god i've just learned so much from you no i mean <laughs> but don't you, i love how life is like that so you take an emergency response program And really I should be, this is what happened to me right when the pandemic came right prior to that, I had a business coach and we were going through, okay, Rick, this is what fear does to your business. And if you're fearful that this is going to go under, or this isn't going to work or blah, you need to get, so I'm practicing all this, then that hits. And I'm like, well, everybody's panicking and I can't, I'm, I've just learned I can't. And so I need to take this. So it really helped get me through, but it also caused a lot of problems because then I started questioning things going, wait a minute but i think there's some real value in all of us even when you're in a conversation thinking where's this coming from here or here and if it's back here we as human beings can push it to the front we we have the ability to push the conversation back up here it starts by what you're talking about listening to people that i bet listening randy is what brings the stops the panic brings it forward and that relaxing, those breaths, that kind of thing, so that you can then have an intelligent conversation.
2: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. In fact, I'll share one other thing from my emergency response days. I could always tell how serious an incident was by the tone and cadence of the responders talking on the radio. The more calm, the more modulated they were, the more precise they were in their communications, the worst it was, the worst oh. it was. And that's because they are falling into that frontal lobe and controlling. And, and I used to say when I would teach people is talk at a level where you think you're talking in slow motion. I guarantee you with the adrenaline and everything else going on, you're talking at the perfect speed and cadence.
0: So do you think it's, it's an education thing with a, like, it's a practice. Like if we learn when we get into a hairy situation or somebody comes up and challenges us, um, to to take that deep breath, slow down our speech, bring the conversation to the front. And maybe that means talking less, listening more, and we can actually train because you obviously train men and women to do this. Like, so it became natural for them. Could you imagine Randy, if we as city leaders and community leaders and stuff like that could learn how to do that, um, not be fearful and just go in and let's just have, that could be the key to getting communication back to the a point where we can all have a, a voice in that, in that uh, particular thing.
2: I agree. I always uh, advocate for start with listening. And I always try to remind at least my people back in the fire department that half of the communication process is listening.
0: Yeah. And we aren't as a society, very good at that.
2: We're terrible and, at it. And when I say
0: <laughs> when I say we, I mean me too. You know, me too. You know what's funny, Randy, is the other day I I made a um it was a real learning experience for me. I made a um I posted something that I I checked two sources and I thought it was good. It, it looked it looked valid and um and it was something about Disney changing a policy or something. And I put it out there. People started challenging me, going, "I can't find that anywhere." So I thought, oh, God. So I went in and started digging a little more and I found on a page it said, this was a satire. It was meant to be satirical. And so I went, Oh shit. So I thought I went back to my old KZI days. What would I do? Well, I'd have to go on the air and apologize. So I put together a little video, apologize, say, I am, I'm really sorry. I messed up. And I checked sources. I thought it was real. I got caught, but um, I'm out here telling, you know, so I'm just doing this apology. That video had more views than anything I've done in about a year and a half. And people just coming on going, God, thank you for just admitting it and telling us. I mean, and I, it kind of, it, it, it warmed my heart, but it also kind of told me, you know what people are looking for? Real, like real conversations, real apologies, real, I don't know all the answers, you know, real, Like uh, let's get your input city of Eugene on this issue and let's not be afraid of a vote because if we lose, that means it wasn't supposed to happen. That's okay. And, and I think if people would start in my own life, that's what I'm trying to do now is go, just be real, be purposeful. I'm still going to go after things, but you're going to push in and, and listen more. And I think there's a, I don't know. I, it was, it was profound for me. I mean, because I it is.
2: I've been in that spot too, and I, I was. And I'm sorry, I cut you off. There. No, no, you're fine. Yeah, you know, part part of leadership is being able to admit when you're wrong. It's being authentic. It's being honest. And we can't be expected to know everything and get everything right first time every time. The reality is, we're all human. We always make mistakes. What I'm hoping for is we can get to a point where there's more trust more honesty and more grace.
0: You know, it'd be really interesting. I I totally agree with you. I I think what would be really, you know, you you could change this situation. The conversation in Eugene, Oregon could turn around and this is my, this is not Randy, this is me. But if the five members who ended up pushing this uh, ban through um, saw how many signatures were on this ballot petition, if you went back to the people of Eugene and said, you know what? Um, we may have made a mistake. We, we really care about the climate. We really care about the environment, but it's clear that we're moving too quickly and the people of Eugene aren't ready for this. And um, so you're voting to put this on and, and we're just, let's just see how this works out. You, you, that could be the beginning of a new conversation, a turnaround for the city of Eugene. And I think that would spread like wildfire uh, to other places because um you know, I mean, those are those are facts. It's like you, you push something through and now people are really responding. And if you want, if you care about the people in your community, what a great way to say, hey, we're going to back up a little bit. But, but you have to kind of put your ego in a little bag and you got to put your wills and everything else. The things that you think are important in a little bag and say, you know, what's the most important is that we start talking again, because if we can start talking climate change, we can, we can fix this. We can find some solutions. If we can start talking about things and going, yeah, that's a great idea. That's where you need to be. And you don't, don't agree with me or disagree. I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to get you. That's just a great, I think as we're talking, I'm just thinking that would be such a cool thing. Um, and from my experience, just, you know, and, and I wasn't doing the apology to get fanfare. I was embarrassed, (laughs) and i put i mean i laid in bed all night and went oh shit how can i get around this how can i how can i just take it off or i could do this or i could do this and i just thought you know i'm just gonna do an apology because that's what i just bitched about the day before about how the the media is saying nothing about all these other answers to these ideas about wuhan lab and covid and all that they're saying nothing about hey we're sorry we said you know held back the information or censored people, uh, we should have let everybody do it. And then I then I make a mistake.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? Again, Rick, we're, we're human. Right. We're going to make mistakes. I'm sure that's not your last mistake in life. No. I, I I've got, unfortunately, many more in front of me. What's important is how we handle our mistakes. And what you did there was show leadership by being able to say, hey, I got it wrong. And I'm correcting that.
0: And first it's admitting. And that's the hardest part. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Once you, you know, I have a lot to be humble about. And once you figure that out in life, I think admitting error is just chopping wood.
0: Yes. Yeah, somebody said to me the day, <laughs> you seem so much more relaxed, like you just whatever. I said, you know, when you get past 60, you just there's so much you don't care about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's so much you do care about, but it's it's much more honed in and funneled into this you know one level and for me like you it's it's about everybody how should have a voice and and it, whether i agree with it or not you should be able to have your conversation now i'm going to be very vocal about mine as well but everybody should have that
2: part of the conversation absolutely
0: randy grows that was the most that was fun
2: well i i enjoyed it too but i also want to say for the viewers that don't Know you as a former reporter and KZI anchor. I always thought you did a fantastic job, and uh, you know the, the one time I was on the water cooler with you, it was it was less than comfortable, uh, <laughs> not by your fault, but uh, just the circumstances and, uh, but you, you've always uh, handled it with class and well, dignity that. and diplomacy. And I, I do appreciate that. And so thank you for all you've done over the years. No,
0: I appreciate that. And I get, you know, I get some, I get hit pretty hard now that I'm out here in the social media world, but that's the place we play, you know, and if you're out here in this, in this garden, you're going to, there's going to be dirt clods and stuff thrown at you, but I do see a lot more people Willing to have the conversation, and I, I, I when I said earlier I was excited about where we are. I think we're. I don't think we've hit rock bottom yet, but I think we're getting down to this place where people are starting to come back and go. You know, maybe we should start listening to that. And and I'm hoping. But I'm I'm kind of this you know weird optimist that I, I do think once the people understand, I, I think the biggest thing that has destroyed uh, parts of Oregon for me is is like the rest of the country is apathy. Um, you know, yeah. we we allowed we just allowed you people in government, you know, oh, just we voted them in. They better do the right thing. And then, no, you know, you go to a city council meeting and, the, the, you know, all the people who who are on one side of the fence, they don't show up. And so then they wonder why things always happen, because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So what that tells me is we need more squeaky wheels on all sides of issues to be able to go to. Go to bat for this stuff. If you don't stand up, don't expect anybody to do it for you because they won't.
2: That's part of the process.
0: Yeah. Randy Gross, city councilor in Eugene. Um, Good luck with your natural gas thing. I hope it doesn't explode on you. And I do hope that something happens um, that that maybe people will start to listen again. And I, I, I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting that Eugene is getting on board and saying enough is enough. Um, sometime I'd like to have you on and talk about your homeless situation because I think we could learn a lot um, in other places of what not to do and what to do.
2: That's been my number one issue I've worked on since taking office. Uh, I, my my council ward is West Southwest Eugene, where we were hit um, very hard with. An out of control, unhoused uh, problem, crime problem, uh, just a number of things. And, and we actually, West Eugene, if you drive through it today, it looks markedly different than it wow. looked 18 months, two years ago. And it, it wasn't easy, but I do think we have found things that work that um, I like to lead with compassion, but I believe in following up with a hard bottom line and, and holding people accountable and responsible for their actions and behaviors. And I think finding that balance is part of the key to success. I'm going
0: to guess that a lot of that happened too, by businesses getting involved and getting oh, absolutely getting, standing up and saying, you know what, if we're going to, cause I saw that before I left, is businesses were starting to go, I can't put up with this anymore. Um, the, they were leaving. Yeah, the vandals—they couldn't, they couldn't
2: get their—they couldn't get their semis in and out of their uh, loading docks and loading yards because the streets were strewn with campers and RVs. Um, I'm not saying it's 100% taken care of, but it is markedly better than it was to before. And
0: people. I have before them.
2: and after pictures. Oh, really? I, I do. Well, yeah, I've got a whole. I've. I've Spoken to community groups uh, about this, and I I have my whole PowerPoint that I've updated as we've gone, and you can see before and after shots that uh, show you what it was like and what it is now. And and like I said, we've we've led with compassion. We've created hundreds of sites where people can go, and they are managed, so you don't have right. some of the problems you have with an unregulated site. And we, we've we've changed our parking ordinance three times. But I'll save that for another day, but okay. I, I think I think there are some good good things to to talk about challenges, but also good things.
0: All right, Randy Groves, thank you for making the time to join us, and I really appreciate your time.
2: Well, thank you for the invite, and to uh, the viewers, uh, thank you for watching. I, I appreciate that as well, and I, I I hope I've been able to at least help explain the situation. All right, Randy Groves, thank you. Thank you.
0: So that's how a conversation should go. Uh, a couple things I think to learn from that: uh, just let people talk. Like Randy and I didn't have to be all focused on everything, which is, it turns into a conversation that we can all learn from. Um, the other thing is, I, I think there's something big between that fear. We have to fight fear, and I know people will write me and say, mm-hmm. "Oh, but fear is that no." If you're trying to have make decisions and you're fearful, you're not going to make good decisions. So we've got to start as community members, as people in this country, is start thinking from here, not reacting from back here. Take this share it on your page. Let other people see it. Uh, really appreciate your support. Tomorrow night, uh, small rural Oregon town, <clears throat> city council is going in a direction a lot of people didn't want them to. So they got a bunch of people and voted them out. that's what you do. And we're going to talk to them about how that worked, what happened and why. All right. I'm Rick Dancer. This is get real with Rick Dancer. I'll talk to you tomorrow.